This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So letting him see that for himself and make the mistakes and he started off with these elaborate like fruit skewers in the lunch boxes and I thought they'll go brown by 10 30 and they won't eat them and so he's learning all that himself well I'm the key breadwinner here so I need to think long term and really put things in place and I've also got four people that work for me now so it's not just kind of making money for us to spend I've got to pay people's wages I've got the most amazing people working for me but I feel like we're all bad with boundaries My mum raised us as like a single parent and she went back to study and she studied part-time and I've kind of seen her do that and I guess that's been modelled. There's a trampoline right outside my window so they're usually jumping up while I'm talking to somebody really important (laughs) but um, I think that's just working from home life. (laughs) Sophie Walker is the host of hit podcast Australian Birth Stories. She's also a published author, the creator of The Birth Class and a mother of three boys. It was Sophie's traumatic first birth that inspired the podcast, which at the time of the interview had over 11 million downloads. But now at the time of publishing, she's up to 12 million. That's nearly half of Australia. The expansion of her business has led to some really exciting projects, such as publishing her first book. And it's also led to her becoming the key breadwinner at home, bringing with it an extra layer of pressure. Here, she takes us back to the start, through her varied and colourful career, how she built Australian Birth Stories to be the brand that it is today, the birth that inspired it all, and what her husband is learning from being at home with the kids. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the smart and savvy Sophie Walker. Sophie Walker, you are podcast royalty in the birth space. Can you start by introducing yourself and your family for anyone that doesn't know you? Sure. So I'm Sophie Walker and I live in Melbourne with my three sons who are nine, seven and three and my husband, Jonathan. And um, yeah, and I run the Australian Birth Stories podcast. And you're up to 11 million downloads, which is actually pretty amazing. That's like half of Australia worth of downloads when you think about it. But before that came to be, what was career life like for Sophie Walker? Um, so I chopped and changed and did quite a few different courses. Straight out of school, I did primary teaching and um, I did three years of a four-year degree degree and then dropped out and went to Africa and then I didn't finish it off. Then I came back and did uh, international relations and health science with the idea of trying to get into sort of NGO work and work in kind of some oh, for things like Oxfam. I did some volunteering for them. And um, then I moved to London and I did a bit of volunteer work at um, Doctors Without Borders or MSF. So I kind of envisaged yeah. that life for myself, um, but it didn't really pan out that way. And then when we moved back from London, my husband and I were there, we weren't married then, but we were there for two and a half years. And when I came back, I thought, I think I need to study more. It was really competitive industry to get into. And I felt like everybody seemed to have a master's in public health. So I thought I love study. So I did um, my master's in public health when I got back here. And by then I was 30. So um, I thought that might help bolster my um, 
kind of opportunities in working in NGO work. And then I randomly ended up working in cancer research. <laughs> so I kind of did a strange dance around a lot of different things, but I feel like now in the podcast, in an odd way, I'm drawing on a lot of those skills from the different things that I studied and different job opportunities. But um, yeah, so it didn't kind of play out the way that I thought, but here I am. That's amazing. I was just thinking that actually all does sort of make sense and come together. So then you decide at some point that you want to start trying for a family. How does that sit with you more from that career point of view? Is it something you're always stressed about or was it quite natural and you felt ready? Yeah, it was interesting because um, it was a funny situation when I did conceive. So I was living at home because my husband and I both decided to study. So he he's got a background in like sports and leisure. And then he wanted to be a teacher. So he was doing his degree to become a teacher. And I was doing my master's to finish off my public health. And we thought, oh, we asked my parents, because they've got quite a big house in Warrandyte in a lovely area. We said, can we move back? I can't even remember how long, maybe it was for a year. Can we move back for a year? Because um, we'll save on rent and we'll just finish our courses. And and on at that stage, I wasn't thinking, oh, and I'm also going to get pregnant. I mean, I just was like around that age, my best friend got pregnant and I was so jealous. I was like, oh, I can't believe she's having a baby before me. I've always wanted to have kids. And I think that probably fueled it, the, the idea a bit more. And um, we did intend to get married, but we weren't engaged at the time. And I was kind of not that bothered about the chronology of how that unfolded. And then I was also aware that it might take a long time. So I thought, oh, let's just to try and see what happens. And we were incredibly fortunate and conceived on the first kind of month of trying. My cycles pretty much clockwork and I get ovulation pain. So it was pretty easy to kind of monitor that. And I feel incredibly lucky to say that, but it was also a complete shock. And I actually did a pregnancy test on the day of my sister's wedding. Cause I thought, well, I need to know if I can drink or not. <laughs> and, um, and I'm a bit, dramatic. And I came into my mum's room on the morning of my sister's wedding and said, I'm pregnant, but we won't talk about it today because today's all about Hillary. And mum's <laughs> yeah. like, what? She's like, I'm trying to deal with my daughter's wedding and you're bringing this on to me. <laughs> I know. And I think my sister's like, you're always trying to overshadow my things, but I didn't tell my sister. So it's pretty funny. But um, I, yeah, it was just like a, I felt like I had a real twinkle in my eye for the rest of the, the wedding, um, keeping that secret. But then it was like, okay, so I'm living at home and I'm pregnant. I can't remember at what stage, but my parents were actually planning to sell their house and move. And they're like, oh, well, we can't turf you out while you're pregnant. So we'll postpone putting the house on the market. Typical youngest child derailing things, I think. <laughs> and um, yeah, but I had, so at that stage I was working for uh, Peter Mac and I was working in breast cancer research full-time. So I was taking a bus from Warrandyte to the city, which is about 45 minutes every morning. I didn't get terrible nausea, but I did have a few bus trips that were a bit ordinary and I just sort of took dry biscuits, but I had a pretty smooth pregnancy and I was really excited to finally be having my turn and I knew I knew enough to know I really wanted midwifery care and so I I, I think I called the hospital up like the few days after I did the pregnancy test and said I want to get into the MGP program at the Mercy and I did a hospital tour and I wasn't even showing and I feel like everyone else doing the tour was like eight <laughs> months pregnant so I was an eager eager person yeah but I felt really excited about the challenge of labor and then his birth didn't go to plan but after I had him, I came back home and we lived at home for um, the first three months. So it was pretty amazing to be able to be looked after by my mum, what kind of 24 hour doula. So that was, yeah, that was special. 
So you're both studying at the time. Did you continue your studies postpartum or how did that work? No, I got it done. Um, I think Jonathan got his finished too. I can't remember. Nothing like a baby to um, get you moving quickly, hey? <laughs> I know. There's a funny picture of us both studying at either ends of the dining room table at my mum's and I'm like <laughs> heavily pregnant. We're trying to just get it done. But I did hand in my last assignment early and they're like, why are you handing it in early? And I was like, look at me. Um, <laughs> so I got that done. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I passed and got, yeah, so that all felt really special. And I was a bit worried that if I didn't get it finished, maybe I wouldn't ever finish it because it mm. wasn't kind of an essential thing for the workplace. It was more just I wanted to get it done. So um, I really loved that course. So it was, that was kind of easy in a way. And um, yeah, so I was happy to tick that off before he came, I think, out a few weeks in between. So it sounds like all the stars did align just before he came. What did maternity leave look like for you? Did you take a year off, six months? What was that like? Oh, it feels like a blur now, but I'm pretty sure I took, I think I took six months off and then I thought I would reassess, but I always thought I would have a year off in my mind. And um, yeah, we didn't financially have too many pressures because we were still living at home at that stage. Mm. Um, there, that sort of shifted though when, Oh, we wanted to move out when um, Nico was three months old. So then it was like, okay, we've got to pay rent and we've got to apply for a rental and we've only got one income. And um, I think I was able to still say that I was employed because I was on maternity leave. So that kind of helped. But Jonathan was like a graduate primary school teacher. So he wasn't bringing in a huge amount of money. So the plan was, I think that I would go back in 12 months and I worked yeah, in the healthcare profession in a beautiful team of women who we were kind of all just taking in turns and going on mat leave, really. So that was all very set up. And I was like, I think I was doing a maternity cover myself. And then I was friends with the girl I was covering. And I was like, when are you coming back? Because I'm pregnant. And then we <laughs> always like, we're like, I think it's going to work out. All right. So there was, um, I was really lucky in that sense. There was no hard feelings when I announced that I was pregnant. And um. Yeah, and they were very accommodating. And I went back, yeah, 12 months later, I went back to work and my mum looked after um, my son two days a week with her partner. So um, again, very, very lucky to have that. them offer to do that free of charge. So yeah, that's how we kind of made it work. And how did you feel when you actually did return to work? Your mother was obviously looking after Nico. So maybe that took some of the emotions and the struggles out of it. But how did that play out for you? Yeah, it was still really hard. I was, I didn't feel the same way back in that job. I wasn't as motivated, I don't think. And I was still breastfeeding. So I was expressing and leaving bottles and trying to make sure I had enough milk. I didn't have too much trouble expressing. So I kind of, that was sorted, but yeah, it's sad. I mean, I mean, there was kind of pros and cons. It was sad and I felt a bit like I'd left a limb behind, but in the same way, I was also kind of just glad to finish a cup of tea and have a lunch break. And there's definite perks to that. And I was working on really incredible work like trying to um, map out family histories of breast cancer so it felt like re really rewarding work and um, it was definitely pros and cons and, and we needed the money as well so it had to be done. Mm, a lot of mothers or parents in general say that sometimes their work needs to feel like it has more meaning after it so that's a really interesting point your work was actually really meaningful a lot of people say I'm not curing cancer you were actually trying to help cure cancer <laughs> I was trying. so that's yeah, pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty unbelievable so then it was I believe the stark differences between a pretty traumatic first birth and a more empowering second birth that led you to start Australian birth stories can you first tell us about those births what you're comfortable sharing and then tell us a bit about ABS 
Yeah, sure. So um, again, I was really confident going into Nico's birth and excited by the challenge. And I was going in with the plan of, I'm not going to have any interventions. I'm going to embrace the pain and, you know, I'll be fine. I'd read um, at that time, I read a book by Juju Sundan called Active, oh, now I've blanked birth skills it's called mm -hmm. and she talks a lot about using your body and using sound and I was like okay so I'm going to do that it's gonna be fine I have my friend gave me a TENS machine I thought this is fine I went just a couple of days over um, my estimated due dates and and I had some cramping on and off in the night and I was thinking oh, I might be early labor I'm not sure but I've got an appointment to check everything in the morning anyway so we went into the appointment and I had a stretch and sweep and um, she said you're four centimeters and I was like oh I haven't even raised a sweat and I'm halfway there more or That's less so good. this is gonna be so good <laughs> and my mum had really quick baby quick births so I was like oh I've just inherited this ability and then um, she said you're gonna have a baby this afternoon you better go home and get some rest and I was like oh this is so good oh, and then wow. I went to the chemist because you know, they tell you to get um you know to put something to have a sleep or something I went to pick something up from the chemist and the woman said to me oh you're you can't have long to go and I said I'm in labor now and she's like oh <laughs> that was so funny but I was so excited that I just, I went hard and fast early. I thought, well, I'm mm. going to have it this afternoon. So it won't matter if I pace the streets. So I did. I paced up and down our dirt road. Jonathan was following along and we were timing everything. And, and then it got to dinner time. And I thought I still wasn't really in transition or anything, but I thought, oh, well, they said I'm going to have it this afternoon. So I must be close. Oh, so that I must went have been in, a real mind game. Yeah, I know. I just, every time someone tells me that on the podcast, when someone guesses something, I'm like, you've got no idea and it's not helpful. Don't mm. ever guess. I think it really did set me up badly, um, yeah. that and a bunch of other things. But I went in thinking, you know, she'll say, oh, you can push in an hour. And she said, oh, you're five centimetres. So for that whole day, I hadn't rested and I'd only progressed one centimetre. So I laboured for most of the evening there. Um, I had my mum and my husband and my sister and my stepdad coming and going, which again, didn't do for my second. I didn't have a thoroughfare of people eating pizza and watching me labour. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I basically labored into the morning and I was still at five centimeters and I uh, just thought I got to that point then where I was like, oh, well, I've tried everything and um, I'm meant to have had this baby yesterday. And I really just mentally gave up. Mm -hmm. I'd had my waters broken at that time. And then I said, oh, I just want the epidural because I've, I've got nothing left in the tank. Mm -hmm. So, um, had the epidural and syntocinin and then, um, then I was happy for a while, pain-free, and then um, pushed for two hours and he really got stuck. So I had an episiotomy and then his heart rate tanked and I had forceps and then a hemorrhage. So it wow. was a real whirlwind. My mum ran out of the room crying and oh. when he came out, he was blue and unresponsive. So it was all very stressful for everyone, but it was just about, it was probably only one minute. Like they got him to come round and then they managed my blood loss and then everything was fine. But I was just like, what on earth was that? That was not what I had expected at all. Mm. So I was really shell-shocked like so many women are or one in three. And then, yeah, and then you just have to kind of get on with things and manage breastfeeding. And, and I found that really hard. And although it was great having my mum at home, she was saying, oh, I think his fontanelle's going in. I think he's not feeding enough. I think you need to give him boiled oh, water. No. And I was like, nobody does that anymore. I'm ringing the Australian <laughs> Breastfeeding Association. 
And I had the nicest lady on the phone who really was just listened to my birth story, really, which is ironic how it all unfolded later. Um, But she just really listened and heard me and just said, you know, you just need to take your shirt off and just keep feeding. And yeah, and then and then I kind of a couple of days later, I had some like lower back pain and things. But other than that, I kind of just went into this blissful bubble and thought, I just Mm. get to sit here with this baby and feed him all day. And my mum was cooking me meals. And I was like, this is pretty amazing. Mm. So um, it probably wasn't until I had fell pregnant again that I really thought, all right, I need to do things differently when I really immersed myself in birth stories from overseas at that time, because we didn't really have podcasts that much here. Mm. there wasn't a birth stories one so I just listened to as many stories as I could because I felt like I need something to get me over that mental hurdle um, when it arises but it turns out I didn't really need that or maybe I'm not sure but that labor was five hours and I birthed in the same room um, with the same midwife and I'd more or less kind of got into the birth center and squatted down and said I'm pushing and the out he came so it couldn't have been more different and I don't think that was just because I'd listened to a lot of birth stories I think I'd birthed before he was a kilo smaller so that definitely helps um but I definitely had a better understanding of the physiology of labor and I wasn't tensing against contractions I was really surrendering to the process so I think all of those things led to a much better outcome I can't really remember how it unfolded, but I actually stopped working at Peter Mac and I started working at the Cancer Council, so still in cancer research. And we did a lot of admin tasks of mail-outs and things. So I was often stuffing envelopes and things um, with another friend of mine who was Canadian and we used to just talk about podcasts all the time, like, what are you listening to? And yeah, and swapping stories. And then she's like, you love podcasts so much. You should make your own one about Australian. Like you stop listening to all the foreign birth stories and do mm. your own one. And we kind of laughed about it. And then... um then I thought, oh, I'll just give it a go. So I just followed step-by-step step a YouTube on how to set it up, um, which is funny. It's with Pat Flynn. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a podcaster in America. And then I went on to do some paid courses and now I've been a guest on his podcast. So that's kind of gone full circle. But um, yeah, I'm not tech. I'm not techie. I'm still not techie seven years, six or seven years down the track. I still do the same basic setup. And I, most of the time I just recorded in the car because that was quiet and it's quite well insulated. But I just did it for fun. And I thought, well, I'll record mine and I'll record my sister and a few friends and then just see what happens. I had no idea that everybody would love it and that it would go on to become a business, which I feel like is a, it's kind of irritating for people to hear who are trying to kind of start a podcast to sell their business. I'm like, oh, just kind of all happened but it sort of did so I feel fortunate um and really grateful that people have loved it but um I think it kind of gained momentum when I started to interview some people with like followings on Instagram so influency people in the birth space so I sort of strategically did that and that and then they would record with me and then share their episode and then I would gain a lot of exposure to their audience and um, I feel like people always want to know these or everyone wants to hear a birth story and um, I think there's a kind of fly on the wall voyeuristic kind of component to people with a bigger following like oh and what happened you know so that kind of really helped catapult me forward and Instagram was very basic at that stage like if somebody followed you they saw your image there was no tricks Mm. you didn't have to dance for their attention um So I think that's how I grew my account so quickly and got really good organic reach. And I mean, it helps that people love see like my Instagram accounts now has got 148,000 followers, but I think people just love seeing that imagery and then um, like small snippets of births and stuff. So 
and they often share it with friends. So that kind of algorithm and things has also worked in my favor. That's the main channel of how I advertise the episodes. Incredible. Yeah, now it's had over 11 million downloads. So it's come a long way from just my mum listening. Incredible. And lots of hard work, let's not forget. There's, I can't even imagine how many yeah. hours have gone into that. So since you've had 11 million downloads, as you said, you have an online birth class, which I did and loved. And you also have a lot more guides online around motherhood, breastfeeding, parenting, pregnancy, all the rest. Can you tell us a bit about how you then evolved the business to be more than just a podcast? Yeah. So I started doing ads um, at the start of the episode, which was, is like one of the components of my income. And I just cold emailed people and said, do you want to advertise and have use a discount code and let's see how it goes. And that's nice that a lot of those people that signed on in the early days are still with me now and they're paying a different rate, but they sort of still see the value, which is lovely. And then I went to a business coach because I thought I'm just kind of listening to other podcasts on business and kind of putting different bits of the puzzle together myself. And I'm not really sure how to steer this ship. Mm. Um, So I actually reached out to another uh, podcaster and said, would you, could I pay you for an hour of your time to just hear how you've set up your uh, business? And she said, oh, I don't do that. Um, but a friend of mine is a really good business mentor and you should talk to her. So I had a session with her and I said, oh, I'm just really passionate now about postpartum and should, I'm wondering whether I do another podcast on postpartum stories or I'm just wondering which way to go. And she said, oh, I can't remember what my audience size was at that stage, but she said, I really feel like you've built this beautiful trusting community and you're also walking this path yourself firsthand going through postpartum. I think now it's time that you make some resources and some courses to try and generate revenue in that way. And I think I'd listened to a lot of podcasts and, and things and thought, oh, there's there's a lot of money to be made in online courses, but that won't work for me because I'm not an obstetrician and I'm not a midwife. So how could I impart knowledge And then just, um, yeah, we workshopped that and now I've kind of, I have created a series of courses and the way that I do that is I interview experts who give the insights and we discuss that and then I've made downloadable resources. So yeah, and that was an incredible shift for my business. It's still the main income is my courses and products. And um, yeah, and then more recently we've done the book, but we sort of, each time with the courses, we're like, oh, there's not really a course that does this. Let's make it. And Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest struggle with working for yourself is you never kind of turn your business mind off. And my husband's forever saying, get off your phone. And I'm like, I'm working. Mm. And now I kind of have a bit more power when I say that because he's not working. He's the stay-at-home dad. And I'm like, well, I've got to pay the mortgage, so I am going to be on Instagram for the next hour. (laughs) Um, So there's like pros and cons to that because I don't have good boundaries, but it's hard when you've just got ideas just pop into your mind Mm -hmm. and, um, and the wiggles is on or something. And I'm like, oh, I should do a course on this, or it'd be great to interview this professional. And so there's never really an off switch. And sometimes I kind of fantasize about that nine to five where you just, you know, turn your computer off and go home. You don't have that luxury, but then there's obviously like, yeah, an immense number of pros, particularly around flexibility and, and juggling like I I, most days I do pick up and drop off from school which is around the corner from us and I just try and structure my day in that way so I can pick and choose what sort of how involved I am now with with Jonathan being home so he's been home for about six months but now we just interweave that and I just always try and avoid doing lunches so that's how we do it. So now you've added a book to your repertoire just just to make your plate spin a bit faster or whatever that saying is I've yeah. totally muddled that can you tell us a bit about <laughs> being a published author and your amazing new book 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. So it just came out last week. Um, and Jody and I, so Jody and I met through the podcast. I interviewed her and we connected really well. And we've actually only spent about half an hour physically together ever. <laughs> we had a coffee one time and we chatted about business and then she's been traveling around Australia and she now lives in Tassie. Um, so that is pretty funny that we've hardly spent any physical time together, but we talk for hours every day. Um, so she's written her own book. And then we talked about off and on sort of over the years of like, oh, everyone always says, what book should I read? And um, and it's hard to just say, oh, get this. Like, I know I read Juju's book, but that's specific to like active birthing. And then there's Ina Mae Gaskin. I feel like everybody reads that, which is wonderful, but it's American and written in the 70s and it's been various updates, but it's kind of specific to America. And we just felt like there wasn't a book that was welcoming to people who wanted to have a cesarean or wanted to have a home birth and just had all the up-to-date Australian information and statistics and was delivered in a way that wasn't overwhelming and so we thought about doing it I was a little bit like oh I don't know if we can and then COVID hit and then that was really intense and I was in Melbourne so I was really in lockdown with all the homeschooling and thankfully Jodie was in Tassie and really managed to escape many challenges apart from the fact that she had four of her own kids to look after um <laughs> But we we just sort of brainstormed each day and and I mean we were lucky in this in the I don't know how anyone would write like a novel because we were lucky in that there was kind of a recipe to birth like mm. we'll start at preconception and we'll just do that bit so we'd have a brainstorm of all the things we wanted to include and then um, Jody who's a journalist and writer would go and put something together and then we'd edit it together and um, we kind of did it that way and we submitted it to our publisher in chunks as well and then they would send it back for editing in chunks so it kind of felt less overwhelming in that sense but then um it was two years of work and about five months of editing because we sort of acknowledged that we're not midwives and doctors so we wanted mm. it to be medically accurate so we sent it to um, leading obstetricians and midwives to read for accuracy and made the appropriate changes and we took out some bits that were perhaps misleading or not kind of up to standard and things like that so we made it as um so that we could confidently kind of yeah really offer it up to everyone and know that it's that it's accurate so it was a really really long process and then the book world is unusual because I'm so used to running things myself and seeing all the numbers and choosing when things go live and sort of handing over some of that responsibility I found hard and even now like I don't know how many books have been sold whereas normally with my courses I could just refresh the page and see so I'm finding like not having that control hard and I've even toyed with the idea of getting the subscription so that you can get they're called book scan numbers which collates mm. all the all the books that have sold and you see it and only publishers I think have a subscription and I looked up like how do I get a subscription because I just need to know the numbers <laughs> um but I think it's like three thousand dollars per annum so I probably won't mm. do that but yeah finding that kind of interesting and I chatted to a friend who's self-published and we talked about the pros and cons of that but I don't think I could have self-published this there's definitely advantages to kind of going through a publisher but yeah a shift away from kind of working for yourself and be suddenly having deadlines and things was different so you're a published author, you've got this amazing podcast, you've got so much else happening with your resources and education work. How do you make that work with parenting? Yeah, so more recently, my husband's a stay-at-home dad. So he's he was still a primary school teacher and found, well, COVID was incredibly difficult navigating him teaching online and then me teaching the boys. And we just decided he should have a break. And yeah, so that's been interesting. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Um, we still like fine fine tuning that. Um, he loves to work in the gardens. He he gave himself the title house manager, and I said, yeah, but you're pretty much a garden manager. You're not doing the dishes. <laughs> like, no, like have to kind of let him make the mistakes rather than like he'll be digging a hole and planting, and I'll be like, we've got swimming in like ten minutes, mm-hmm. and he'll be like, that's fine. We're walking to swimming, but I thought, yeah, but you haven't factored in. They're going to fight over who wears which goggles, and then someone will have left their swimming cap at home, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and where are and those like, goggles? <laughs> exactly and then oh they don't like the black ones anymore and he'll be like well they wore them last week and I said yeah see that changes <laughs> so I have to they're let very him tricky stakeholders <laughs> oh yeah they're always moving the goalposts so letting him see that for himself and make the mistakes and he started off with these elaborate like fruit skewers in the lunch boxes and I thought they'll go brown by 10 30 and they won't eat them and so he's learning all that himself <laughs> trying to be very impressive but realizing they just want a Vegemite sandwich and just keep it simple. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, it's really freed me up to kind of work more. And then it's been a shift. I think I've looked at the business in a different way um, myself because I think, okay, well, I'm the key breadwinner here. So I need to um, think long-term and really put things in place. And I've also got four people that work for me now. So it's not just kind of making money for us to spend I've got to pay people's wages and things Mm. like that so then I'm learning kind of HR skills and boundaries and I've got the most amazing people working for me but I feel like we're all bad with boundaries we all work too long and are all passionate about the work so it's fantastic but then I like I'm recently working with Odette who does PR and comms for me and she's always thinking of things and I thought oh after the book I wanted to kind of have a bit of a rest and like do less work (laughs) and she's like yeah but we've got all this advocacy stuff to do so now we're we're doing an annual research study that we're putting together and we're going to be become b corp certified and we're applying for different things and so i don't think there'll be a rest in sight but um it's all it's all good i just feel like there's been there's now over five thousand people who've applied to come on the show and i've got all of their information in an incredible spreadsheet of all their births, where they live, their ethnic background, their age, everything. And I just really want to try and use that trust that I've been given. Not, I'm not going to sell their data or anything, but I feel like we need to just (laughs) um, come together to kind of get this into statistics so we can really advocate and show that you know we do need more funding for midwifery care and we need kind of more women to go into and men to go into the profession and here's where you know the rural areas where they're lacking facilities and I feel like we've got the information to show that and the only way to really get policy change is to put that into stats and into a polished kind of report so um, that's kind of the next big thing for us. Wow. So no sleep for you. That's amazing. And it's incredible work that you're doing. (laughs) So what would be your biggest business tips or learnings that you'd share with, as I said to you before we started recording, I feel like motherhood is quite a creative time, either through the idea of just wanting something different for your life or wanting that flexibility. I think a lot of us sort of, you know, move those goalposts after having a baby. What would be your biggest tips for someone wanting to either freelance or create a small business? Um, I think I feel like there's there's two kind of options. There's the well, the first option I took was I kept working and kept the income that we needed. And when my business was making the same income as my part time job, then I decided it was safe to let that go. And we also could lean on my husband's full time. Um, money. I see a lot of people go into business and go, "We just went all in and we invested our savings and everything." And I think, oh, that's courageous but dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I don't know, now I'm in a position where I've got a mortgage, so I would never kind of do that. But um, yeah, I, I just am more cautious, I think. I think do it in a gradual way. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to, just because you're keeping, you're kind of doing it on the side initially doesn't mean you, you're you less invested. Maybe time-wise it's a bit harder, but I just think it's more sensible in the long run. Uh, people will disagree with that, but that's what I think. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I've been raised, my mum raised us as like a single parent and she went back to study and she studied part-time and I've kind of seen her do that and I guess that's been modelled um, well that you can do it. Just do it at your own pace. And someone asked me for like oh, like a, a big tip the other day and I said, I'll lower your expectations. It just kind of came out. <laughs> and I was like, that's my tip. Just like make, don't overwhelm yourself. I think motherhood mm. is so hard in itself that if you suddenly want to start this big business and you invest all this money or you need it to bring in a certain amount of money, I just think it's too much. Like I'm even finding now, like I'm working really full-time trying to promote the book and do all of that. And it's just really hard, even with Jono Home, just to kind of like went in to get a cup of tea in between meetings before and then the boys are like, you need to sign these notices and we weren't meant to send them back yesterday. So I'm like quickly trying to go to the toilet, fill in the notices and then go back mm. into work mode. And I think you have to account for all of that. And and sickness, like they're always sick. <laughs> and mm. so if you've got all these rigid kind of plans of even with podcasting and things like that and meetings that you have to just have that element of flexibility because you going to need it and I always just think start your list depending on what your business is but start your email list particularly with Instagram being so fickle and I've relied on that for a long time and um and I'm often threatened to be like removed because I've shown too much nudity on my page as well and I think I'd lose 148,000 people so I've now built a list by sort of um yeah free offerings and things to get the email list so that I can reach people when I need to and and I think there's definite truth to that. I feel like people say it all the time. And I didn't start building an email list till about two or three years in. And I kind of think, oh, imagine how good it would have been initially. But um, mm. yeah, then you can really talk to people about what you're up to. It's amazing how much the world is, of social media has changed, even in your time of being prominent in it. So do you work from mm. home? And if you do, how do you set boundaries? Are you working sort of nine to three and then clocking back on after dinner? How does it look for you? No, I've got a different business coach now, Fiona Kalaki, who's amazing. And um, we often talk about that. Um, but I feel like you go in seasons of, I'm in a very busy season at the moment, but mm. I think I, I'm continually in a busy season because I'm like, okay, they'll just work really hard for the book promo. and But then I'll be like, oh, we should make this course. And then we'll go really hard into that. <laughs> but I'm really trying to, um, she's drawn it up for me, um, just like a map of the week. And it's meant to be that like on Monday, I do admin and do social media planning and look at statistics and things like that with downloads and all that, set myself up for the week. And then ideally on a Thursday, I record podcasts because I mean in the same way that yours is one mine is like acutely emotional and I can't kind of just do one and then jump into something else I kind of need to be in that headspace so I'm really trying to batch create and then not be on the fly but in reality I'm often doing the intro for the ad on a Monday and then running the episode so I'm like quickly doing it I hate doing mm. intros that's like my least favorite bit I don't know why <laughs> um <laughs> So ideally I would be chunking it like that. And then I tend to do pick up and drop off just because I like seeing the other mums and keeping my hand in there. Yeah, but that, I so guess the answer is I don't really have good systems, but I'm always aspiring to. I've recently built um, like a pod. I'm talking to you now from my pod, which is at the end of our garden. So um, I can come in here, but it's got a glass door. 
And so the kids often just enter or be tapping away at the window. So I have to lock it. <laughs> you might have to upgrade it to timber so they can't see. <laughs> and usually people seven. can't see. There's, there's a trampoline right outside my window. So they're usually jumping up while I'm talking to somebody really important. <laughs> but um, I think that's just working from home life. <laughs> Yeah, and that's just the balance of being a working parent. I absolutely love your story, Sophie. My last question for you, which I think you've partly already answered, is what's next for ABS? And I'm thinking it's this advocacy work and also seeing what opportunities for more coursework there may be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then we also, we sort of touch on it in the book, but we just felt like you couldn't do postpartum justice in the current book and we already hit 432 pages. So we hope to write a book on um, postpartum because there's so many ins and outs to that and components Mm -hmm. and we, yeah, we couldn't do it in a couple of pages. So we hope to do that at some stage as well. Yeah, that's a pretty big life season, as we know. (laughs) Just a few things to talk about in there. Sophie, I don't really have to tell my few listeners where to find you, but just in case someone happens to have heard of Ready or Not and not Australian Birth Stories, unlikely, but where do they find you online? Yep, I'm just at australianbirthstories.com and my Instagram account is australianbirthstories. Easy to remember. Amazing. I've loved hearing about everything you've done. It's not only incredible as a working parent, but the work you're doing has helped so many birthing people in Australia and beyond. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.